When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. You can see it on film. They have some some young guys that are playing really good football. Obviously, it's still early in the season, but um, they're fast, they're physical, they're well coached. It's kind of similar to last week. You don't really see on film too many mistakes as far as dropping coverage and things like that, uh, especially early in the season. That's that's pretty impressive for for some young guys. All right, gentlemen. Mackie and Judd back at full strength for the next two hours. That's debatable. That is debatable. <laughs> Easily Walked correctable. Anytime I hear film, <laughs> I think of... That's easily e- correctable. Easily correctable. Yes. Gotta look at the tape. Uh, a guy who covered that guy was uh, Tom Pelissero from NFL Network. Tom, we have talked a lot about the Aaron Rodgers-Vikings dynamic and, and the health of Aaron Rodgers, so you have been... All over things, what is the word over the past couple days from the Green Bay slash Aaron Rodgers side going into this Vikings rivalry game? Oh, we're gonna throw Tom on hold. The phone the phone the phone gremlins have uh He's have being scrambled. By the way, Everson Griffin, I don't know if you guys got into this much in the 3 o'clock, but Everson Griffin is now on the injury report yeah. with a bad toe. Yeah, that's not good. That, that's that seems like something that could linger. Yep. That's a not, week. To, not to play the Judd panic role here. No, but. no, that's a week one. You know, I never get too concerned with early season injury reports on on old linemen because I figure they're just big sort of lunks that can sort of stand there. So unless it's really bad, I'm not concerned. But toes for defensive linemen, I don't think are good. Yes. That's a speed thing. I think, I mean, this was inevitable. I, I'm not saying doom and gloom. Maybe it's just a, whatever. Maybe it's a hangnail, but... The Vikings were extraordinarily fortunate last year and that they just didn't have big catastrophic defensive injuries. They didn't they yeah. didn't have three injuries that wiped out their secondary or their defensive line, right? Yeah, true. Uh, all right, let's, let's see if the phone gremlins have gone away. Tom Pelissero, what's going on? You got us? It would be an appearance by me if my phone didn't cut out at least once. <laughs> I feel like this, Tommy, goes, back, this goes back a few Tommy, years. Tommy, you there? <laughs> let's try it again. Forget Daddy, about it. Daddy, where are you? <laughs> Uh, you're, what are you hearing, and what are you uh, soaking in from the Green Bay Packers? Oh, really, obviously, the, the story here is Aaron Rodgers, and I asked every Packers player I talked to over the past two days if they expect 12 to play, and to a man, everybody said, yeah, that's what we expect. But the reality is he you know, he took a shot to that knee. Uh, he's got a lot that he's dealing with in terms of trying to get the swelling out, trying to get the mobility back at least to the level he was uh, in the second half when he came back in on Sunday night. And so the Packers' plan is to let him take this all the way up to kickoff. Their practice schedule is a little different than a lot of teams. They don't really practice on Fridays, so they have a heavier practice on Saturday. Uh, that gives Rodgers a little bit extra time to get out there, you know, show that he can do something in practice, although 
you know, I, I asked uh, Mike McCarthy directly, you know, could he play without practice? He said, yeah, he just, he's probably going to want to do you know, at least a little something at some point here because you go back to Roger's career and he, outside of the two broken collarbones, which you can't discount, but in terms of the injuries he could play through, uh, he's made it back from a lot of different stuff, calf injuries, hamstrings, everything else. Uh, you know, but only one time has he ever played after not practicing all week, and that was way back in his first season as the starter in 2008 when he had a shoulder sprain. Uh, went through a workout on that morning of the game and was able to go. Hey, Tommy, how, how intriguing uh, potentially is this game going to be, especially if Aaron plays on a bad knee and can't move from the standpoint of this is this is going to be a rematch of why this rule about landing on a quarterback and potentially putting all your weight on said quarterback was put into place. So if Rodgers drops back to pass and he's sitting back there and you're a Viking defender and you get to him, how careful is that player going to have to be to not you know, accidentally put 89.9% of his body weight on number 12 and draw a 15-yard flag? Well, first of all, let's clarify. This is not a new rule. That rule has existed since 1995, that you cannot uh, put all or most of your body weight on the quarterback. It was tweaked. They tweaked one word in the rule this year to sort of isolate that you don't also need to, and I can't remember what the first part of it is, but you don't need to you know, throw down the quarterback and put your body weight on. Now it's just an or thing, uh, which in a, it amounts to an emphasis that they don't want those types of hits uh, to be made, which makes sense. If you're the NFL, you know, if you're your average fan, as much as I get all these tweets about, oh, you know, they're they might as well play flag football. It's like, do you want to watch Brett Hundley play quarterback for nine games? Do you want to watch backup quarterbacks everywhere? I don't know why anybody is not all in favor of trying to keep the quarterbacks upright. I understand the frustration, but there were 14 roughing the passer calls, excuse me, 15 roughing the passer calls in week one. The vast majority of them were correct. So, yeah, you, you have to adjust. I talked with Anthony Barr about it last week. You know, just asked him, like, what do you do? Like, can you practice it? Do you... You know, if you could go and practice and run up to the tackling dummy and kind of torque your body to the side, you're like, well, listen, you've you got to be conscious of it. you got to know when you hit them, like, things are going to happen in the moment. Or said, I, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of those flags thrown this year, but what are you going to do? It's the rules, so you play by it. Tommy, what's what's your sense on the on how the Packers view themselves defensively with the, with the change in the coordinator and they went out and got a bunch of young guys in the draft? How, how do they – what are the expectations for them defensively this year? Well, you know, it stood out to me when Mike McCarthy in his press conference yesterday spoke about the defense keeping them in the game uh, in week one against the Bears because their offense was sputtering. I mean, it was 20-3 to for more than one reason. That wasn't all just Rodgers getting hurt. I mean, the offense couldn't do anything. Uh, the defense at least kept that uh, a game for them in the early going. You know, and I, I asked McCarthy about that later. I said, you know, is that significant? I know it's one game, but is that significant? He said, boy, I hope so. You know, they've been through a lot from a defensive perspective in recent years, but, you know, the things that they were confident with going all the way back to training camp was, you know, they, they think they've got better uh, talent along the defensive line, especially with Addy Muhammad Wilkerson, uh, who is a potential difference maker on a one-year deal. Um, you know, he's a guy who really upgrades that unit. And then on the back end, you know, they've invested a lot of resources there. They got the two rookie cornerbacks who are playing a lot for them, uh, and they also think ah, Clint Dix is going to bounce back and have a better year. You know, if you can have if you have Aaron Rodgers healthy quarterback, and you can have 
competent, not even great, not even good, just competent play on defense, uh, you are going to be a contender. There's no question about it. So they, they do believe that they've got better guys. What they have to not do is what they did last week. They have a record of passer calls. They took three of them uh, in that first game, of which uh, McCarthy said that you know two of them were or, uh, you know, borderline, but still, three, McCarthy said, is an outrageous number in a game. They've got to avoid those types of self-inflicted errors, especially on third down, fourth down, whatever that Clay Matthews play was, where he hits Trubisky unnecessarily. But those are the things that just good teams can, can't allow to happen. Our good friend uh, Tom Pelissero from NFL Network. Now, I know Vikings fans listening aren't going to play any sad violins for what I'm about, about to say on behalf of the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, but this is Rodgers' 11th year as the starting quarterback in Green Bay. He's only had two top 10 scoring defenses to go with him in those 11 years. And, and, well, and right now, I guess, we don't have to count year 11, but they are ranked 21st or something like that in scoring defense. But I find that astounding. And when people compare Tom Brady's legacy to Aaron Rodgers, it's like we only account for the quarterback performances and, uh, and, we, and we don't account for context sometimes. But for him to have only two top 10 scoring defenses in 11 years... Um, I, I mean, do better, Green Bay. Get, put put some better pieces around. Maybe the greatest quarterback of all time, Tom. Well, and that's you know why quarterback wins are sort of a, a specious statistic. I even caught myself on NFL Network yesterday saying that Mike Zimmer is five and four against Aaron Rodgers. No, Mike Zimmer and his defenses are five and four against Rodgers with the Packers. Yeah, you know, it is. It is more to it than that. Now the quarterback is the only position on the field that can affect the sea change. That's why those guys get paid more than. Anybody else? And you do wonder, you know, you'd have to break down the numbers and say, okay, how many times has Aaron Rodgers gotten them out to a 25 point lead and they kind of sit back in zone coverage and just try to like keep, keep big plays from happening, slow down the game, give up more points. Um, but certainly, you know, the defense has been a disappointment. They had had a lot of injuries. Remember a couple of years ago, uh, the run of the table year, I think it was the relaxed year. I can't remember. Rodgers has too many good catchphrases. He really but, does. Yeah, yeah. They were, they, the secondary <laughs> was down to their third stringers, you know, just trying to get by. That's tough when you're a draft and develop program that is trying to play young guys a lot. Uh, you get into some scenarios where there's just players you didn't expect to be playing 70 snaps a game who all of a sudden are, are doing exactly that. But, yeah, I mean, you know, look at both sides of the ball. And we talked about the, the defensive personnel. Offensively, they haven't gotten Jimmy Graham really involved yet, but he's, you would think, a red zone target. You do have Devontae Adams, who I spoke to today. He said he feels great on that shoulder thing the other night. Sure sounds like he's going to be good to play. You saw Randall Cobb's got a little bit something left. They're still figuring out that backfield right now with Jamal Williams. Aaron Jones gets back in week three. Uh, but they do have some talent, pretty solid offensive line. I mean, this is there's no reason to think, as long as number 12 is upright and on the field, the Packers are not you know, a team to be contended with, but the Vikings enter this game on Sunday, having won four of the last five in the series, granted with Rodgers knocked out of one of those games, Rodgers not active for one of those games, but you know Zimmer and his and his teams have shown that they can uh, they can hold up against that guy, which is fairly impressive. Outside this game, I've got uh, a couple league questions for you, and I want to start here. Can you explain to me, or have you talked to somebody who knows what the hell the Buffalo Bills are doing here? <laughs> I mean, you start you you trade you get AJ McCarron. Then you trade him. Then you put the poor guy that threw five picks and one half in as, as the starter. And then the head coach gets up to, to the podium after Peterman absolutely stinks in week one and says, I'm, I'm going to the rookie. I think it's self-explanatory. I don't need to explain myself. What the hell are they doing? I think that the baseline from everything I know is that the Bills were going to put the quarterback out there 
who had the best film through all of camp, all the preseason, everything else. They were not going to risk losing credibility in the locker room by saying, oh, Josh Allen's the first-round pick, he has to play. Or Josh Allen's the first-round pick, but he's really not being ready. We're not going to play him. No, they were going to put the best guy out there. They felt as if that was Nathan Peterman. Now, I know that you know there's a very easy punchline here with Nathan Peterman because he threw the five picks and a half last year that he came out it was five out of 14 passes something like that uh in this this last start but i remember another nfl executive asking me during training camp because they were exploring different you know potential backup quarterback options asking if peterman was available that was the guy that he liked you know we're we're victims at times as as media members or fans of only having access to the games i mean maybe peterman's the greatest practice player of all time i don't know i was there for like one stretching period in training camp i didn't see him a lot he does have a a skill set. How did he look stretching? Did he, did, he, did he look limber stretching at least? I, I, as far as I'm aware, no pop hammies, nothing. He seemed to get through that period okay. You know, it's, I mean, we all know the deal in Buffalo, right? It's, you draft a quarterback as high as they did. It's a matter of time until that guy gets in. Um, but it was not just a matter of, well, we just don't want to start Allen. You know, we're not going to start him because we want him to have a redshirt here. No, they, they opened it up. You know, Allen did not have the cleanest game you know, when he got his opportunity to start the preseason. They felt as if. Peterman was the guy who gave him the best chance to win. Uh, I don't know if Josh Allen or Tyrod Taylor or Jim Kelly or Frank Reich starts that game if they're beating the Ravens, who are a team that, you know, I'm, I'm really interested to see them after I get off this plane back to Minneapolis to watch them tonight. They're, the Ravens, when I went through that camp, I saw them in the joint practices with the Rams. Everybody there is talking about Joe Flacco and his best training camp that's He's really motivated right now. They gave him tight ends. They gave him receivers. They think that defense is excellent. You know, the Bills just, uh, you know, they ran into a little bit of a buzzsaw there. Now they got to hope that, you know, one week into the season, uh, there's a playoff team. Buffalo ended a long, a long uh, postseason drought last year. You know, they've got to hope that Allen can kind of give him a little juice here. But you never want to have one guy start the opener, and by the end of it, you're already going, yep, we're going to play. Yeah, yeah. Great stuff, Tom. We'll catch up next week, man. See you, Tommy. Sounds good, Tom. All right, Tom Pelissero from NFL Network. Peterman. Nathan Peterman. It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like Newman in Seinfeld. Peterman. And you know, it's personal for me because he's a former Tennessee Vol quarterback. He was like there for a year and then transferred and he ended up in Pittsburgh. But yeah, he's he stinks. He's not good at football. Uh, Roy Smalley is going to join. We can circle back on a couple things that Tom Pelissero brought up. And uh, Matthew Collar in for the football hour in the five. Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios. The Mackie and Judd Show will continue in a moment. So long, losers! On 1500 ESPN. What is it you're trying to say? Now, back to Mackie and Judd. What? On 1500 ESPN. Back here in the TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd rolls on. A quick look at your traffic. If you're headed eastbound on 94 near Afton, got a little bit of a crash there. So uh, delaying things by a few minutes near uh, Manning Avenue near Afton. So look out for that 94 eastbound. Gentlemen. Thank you, sir. I have some uh, mild but hilarious breaking National Football League news for you. Just to show you how competitive this league is, the Seahawks posted former Browns linebacker Michael Kendricks on a free agent visit today, a source told Ian Rapport NFL Network. Of course, he's facing jail time for insider trading, but the sentencing isn't until December. Oh, so you're good. Yeah. This is well, what you're I, good for at least a large chunk yes. of the regular season. This is what and I when sentencing, of the season, you're good, yeah. Is it possible that he could 
if they appealed, or is it a done deal? It's sentence, sentence, sentencing feels like it's a done deal, right? Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. Yes, but nonetheless, it's not till December. Yeah, you could get two, three good months out of him, right? And he's a very serviceable player. He's not going to get twenty-five years, though, right? Because they're saying he's facing twenty-five years. I don't think so. I can't imagine they're going to. Did the Vikings know about this? Is that because the Vikings were sniffing around him, and it made sense at the time before the we knew about yeah. this white collar crime stuff? <laughs> I think he turned them down, so I would say the answer is probably no. Cleveland didn't know about it, but I don't know they knew the magnitude of it. Okay. Uh, one thing that Pelissero brought up, and we can take phone calls throughout the duration of our show. We do have Roy Smalley coming up here pretty soon. We'll get to our guy Bob in Pennsylvania, one of my favorite vent line callers here in a second. 651-646-8255. QB wins. And I, I'm so glad Tom Pelissero brought this up, <laughs> that, that Mike Zimmer is 5-4 and four against Aaron Rodgers. Now, you could extrapolate correctly that Mike Zimmer's defenses perform well against, well, everybody, but perform well against Aaron Rodgers. But to... To put that stat, because the Green Bay Packers once gave up 34 points to the Andy Dalton Cincinnati Bengals and right. lost a game 34-30, to that's on Rodgers? That's ridiculous. Well, does one of those losses count for the game last year where Barr knocked him out of the game? That was in the first yes. quarter. Yes, does it, it would. If you start the game, does it? Yep. how does that work? Yep. I think, uh, I think in football, if you start the game, the loss is on you. Okay. Unlike, I believe. Unlike baseball. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. But it's still, it, yeah, it's absolutely silly. Yeah, there are, and it's even more absurd than baseball because at least in baseball, you're delivering every single pitch one time every five days, and so all right, it's it's still ridiculous that if your offense doesn't score a run and you hold a team to one run in nine innings on fifteen strikeouts, you you get a loss in that situation. And the NFL, there's fifty three guys on a well, forty six active on game day, I suppose, and three phases of the game that could you know, alter one way or the other, and you're getting your defense gives up thirty four points, and you only score thirty three, and you get hung with the loss. So I think we should just stop assigning team wins to individuals in baseball and also in in football. Would anyone would anyone miss those stats if no, they went away? No, old school baseball. In baseball, in baseball, it's become obnoxious. The fact that, in fact, before you, you got on the show yesterday, I brought up the fact, I believe it was Cole Stewart two nights ago. He was the um, he was not the opener, but he, he was the primary pitcher. And I believe he went three and a third for the Twins, and he walked five. But because they took the lead while he was in, he got a win. Yeah. How about the, that's not That's not good. And, and so he's, not cool, so he's getting credit, even though he tried to shipwreck the effort to Correct. win the game, right? Absolutely. <laughs> oh man, it's like, hey, we won the game ten to nine, and the starting pitcher went went five to qualify for a win, but gave up but eight. If you think, no, he sh- almost shipwrecked you. Yes, and if if you think about it w- with an ounce of common sense, here's what's hilarious: the rule requires this imaginary. Let's see, how many innings if you start the game do you need need to pitch? Five. Okay, but now we're going more and more with some teams to the opener and primary pitcher. Yeah. So if you were the primary pitcher. And you come in, as Stewart did, and let's say you pitched th- three and a third, you're eligible for a win that if you had started in the first inning and inning before, right. you'd be ineligible for. Right. The other thing Pelissero brought up is that, that everyone during training camp, and even week one, he looked amazing. The resurrection of Joe Flacco. Glad somebody finally nudged Joe Flacco five years yeah. into this hundred-plus million-dollar contract. <laughs> Welcome back, Joe Flacco. He got the contract five years ago after they won the Super Bowl, and he's done nothing since. So what does good it, for him. What does it say about this league as well? With as much scouting as goes on and film watching and all that good stuff, what does it say about this league that Pelissero admitted to us that an NFL executive had said to him, 
is Nathan Peterman available because he's looking good in practice? Imagine the shame of making that phone call. Hey, is uh, is that guy who threw five interceptions in the first 30 minutes of a, of a football game, is he available? Yes, by the way. The answer is yes, <laughs> yes he's available. Because he can stretch. Give me a bag of mini can, donuts and we're good. Man, can he stretch. Yeah, he looks, And he's a good-looking looks guy. Can you, can you imagine how quickly you would say yes if you're the Bills general manager in that spot? <laughs> I'm sorry, you, Nathan Peterman? Yeah, his bags are packed, right? right they're yeah. being packed right now. Yes. <laughs> Nate, get in here. What's going on? Yeah. You've, You've just been, been traded. traded. <laughs> <laughs> Pack your things, you're gone. 651-646-8255. Bob in Pennsylvania. What's up, Bob? Hey, how you doing, Mackie? Are you okay? I, Case Case Keenum led Denver with three touch well, three picks, but three touchdown passes. Are you okay? Who cares? Okay. All right. <laughs> I have a question be, for you before I make my comment. If you were Jaws and there's blood in the water, would you swim away or would you attack? Oh, I mean, I'm... Deep. I'm swimming away every time, but I could, I could see the argument for attacking. That's what this game is about. Vikings, Packers, the wounded warrior Aaron Rodgers against Mike Zimmer's defense. And I think that Zimmer is Jaws. There's blood in the water, and we need to attack. The Green Bay Packers are weak right now, and... There's a wounded warrior in the ocean. And Mike Zimmer, not if, but when we sack Rodgers, the penalty flag is thrown, needs to go basically ballistic and set the tone about, this is my defense, allow us to play. This is not a bunch of girls, you know, outside playing, uh, you know, tag football. This is the NFL and... That call against Sheldon Richardson last week against Jimmy Garoppolo was a great example of a bat, you know, a new rule, a good sack, a legal play, but now it's illegal. But see, Mike's got to set the tone, and he can't allow the referees to determine the outcome of this game. So I want to know what you guys think. Bob, I love you. Except the girls thing. Let's not no, insult Bob. Bob, thank Let's you. Let's not insult girls, Bob. Well, I mean, Bob, Bob can do whatever he wants. I, I, I found Bob, it to be unnecessary. Bob's phone calls are Picassos. Bob, Bob, in fact, Bob had a theme song. I Have the Tiger was Bob's theme song every time he called into Venom. How could we not have Jaws, the theme to Jaws, set to go? That's my question. Was Bob the one who was like pro-Case Keenum last year, like all in on Case Keenum last year? Yes. Well, but it's not like he was proven wrong at all until the well until the <laughs> NFC Championship game. Yeah. I mean, to this mm-hmm. point, the jury is still very much out on Case Keenum and whether he can. Yes. How um, many interceptions he throws on Sunday? But so the point being to, from Bob to his Rogers point, I think this game goes one of two ways. Right? Either Rogers uses all the pent up anger and frustration despite the injury and sticks it to the Vikings, or. To what he's suggesting, they do smell some blood in the water because he can't move, and this is a lightning-fast defense that closes in on quarterbacks. I don't even know if there's a lot of middle ground. I think they either make Rodgers' life completely miserable or he has a he classic Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. And, yes. Yeah. I think I think it's uh, a, I think it's one of two outcomes. Well, if you're if you're a pessimistic Vikings fan and you're always thinking that the worst is going to happen, you're you're going into this game thinking. 
Oh, yeah, of course Aaron Rodgers, they're going to play up the injury and then he's going to torch the Vikings because that's just always what happens to the Vikings. Mm-hmm. But if you're realistically thinking, this guy can't move, and the Vikings pass rush that they have should be able to get to him and 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 affect him. That's the way I'm leaning. Yeah. Do you know what's getting totally lost, completely lost, because of the A-Raj injury? Any talk of Kirk Cousins going into this game? Kirk Cousins going into this game is an interesting... I don't believe he's played in Lambeau before. I think he said he was a backup quarterback for a Washington game there. But the dynamic of the Vikings offense now against the Packers defense that I think is improved has been completely ignored. And there's some interesting pressure there. Yes, indeed. And we're going to get back to a Vikings conversation heavy in the 5 o'clock hour. Our Mackie and Judd football hour with Matthew Collar. <sighs> Going to join us with some updates from the practice facility. Roy Smalley will join us when we come back to talk about, well, pick your historic, near historic performance last night. Was it on the mound or was it on the base paths for the Twins? In 246 as well. We got it done quick last night. Yes. Thank you, Jake Odorizia. But Judd has a word for Lightstream first. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd are back. Okay, then. On 1500 ESPN. Kepler to left center. A diving attempt, but no catch by Hicks. Ostadio around third. He's heading home. And the Twins lead three to nothing. <laughs> His nickname is what, El Tortugo the Turtle? Never seen a turtle run so fast before. Ray Smalley, you have been a part of and have seen some great moments in Twins history. The 1987 World Series clincher. You, uh, you, you watched the Twins win the World Series and Dan Gladden stomping on home plate. Where does Astadio scoring from first base <laughs> rank among iconic moments in Twins history? <laughs> it's got to be top ten. It's in there somewhere. It's, yeah, it, 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 was, it might be it ahead was, of Kirby Puckett's catch in game six for me. I'm not going to lie. It, it was wonderful. There's no question about it. It was absolutely wonderful. It's, you know, sometimes... There are moments that show up, and, and and only in baseball can you get these kinds of moments. What's great about him, Roy, is, is this, too. And I, he's not doing it on purpose, uh, but one thing about sports and the current climate and, and how corporate it's become is we truly lack characters, right? Like, there's just not that many players left that are characters. He is a character. Just how he runs. The fact that they play him, I mean, he's what? He's pitched he's played center field he's played second base he's played left field so Ostadio has become a character which is fantastic because for the most part today professional sports are so cleaned up in corporate I think it's great yeah I do too and that's kind of what I'm getting at about um, about baseball historically and and you still get it to some degree uh, the the body sizes and shapes can be widely disparate in baseball unlike uh, unlike uh, most other sports and and the fact that um, you toil in the minor leagues which uh, you know really can't even be explained what what that's like to play in the minor leagues especially you know for as long as uh, guys like Ostadio played in the minor leagues and then even if you get to the big leagues i mean you're starting the minor leagues and uh, and going right through the big leagues you, you get 25 guys together, you throw them together, and yeah, they're for six months of the year, they're with each other more than they're with their families. And it, there's just characters and humor 
uh, and, and situations and stories come out like no place else. It's just, it's it's wonderful. I, uh, you know, there, <laughs> the perfect example is that before the last game every year, if you're not in the playoffs, uh, especially if you've uh, labored through uh, a, a season like the Twins uh, have, when it's been, uh, you know, unfortunate. You put on a uniform that gone game uh, one before game one sixty two, and somebody would, invar- would invariably say, "Okay, guys, just nine more innings, we can go home and choose our own friends." <laughs> Roy, what I love the most about Willie Acedillo is he puts the ball in play all the time. He does not walk. He does not strike out. Every time he comes to the plate, you know the ball's going to get hit, going to get uh, put into play. I looked up. His minor league stats, nine years in the minor leagues, 2,400 plate appearances. He's walked a total of 85 times and struck out 81 times. 2,400 plate appearances, Roy. That's insane. Yeah, it is insane. And I like that, too, about him. Uh, uh, What goes along with that is he's not scared. He knows what he is and what he does. And and whether he's playing in in the minor leagues or, or in the big leagues, you know, he's just going to do what he does. He catches, he throws behind runners at first base, he throws the ball around. I mean, he's not he's not scared. I will say this, though. It's one thing to be able to put the ball in play. And, and I, well, I said the other, the other night on the broadcast, the thing about Williams Astadio is he has a great two-strike approach. The problem is he starts employing that when there's no balls and no strikes, and, and <laughs> I, I just I just wish like, he has so much talent to hit. I just wish that he would save the I'm going to make contact at any cost until he has two strikes and give himself a chance to get some of those hanging sliders and uh, you know it, it, like he he got when he hit the ball out to which would walk off the other day. I, I just wish he'd give himself a little bit better chance because he has a tremendous ability to hit. But when you're hitting the first thing you see all the time, at least half the time, if not more, you're hitting pitchers, pitches, and it's the it's the anti Joe Mauer approach at the plate. And I I wish he'd I wish he'd spend a little bit more time watching Joe. Uh, these are this is going to sound crazy. I'm going to put these two names in the same sentence, but these are these are Joe DiMaggio like low strikeout numbers. This is the the, <laughs> the 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 average hitter now strikes out once per game. It seems like in baseball. Why? Why? why let me ask you this, Roy. Going back into just baseball history, it feels like. Part of the reason, if not a huge part of the, a huge reason why games were quicker thirty years ago, forty years ago, is because hitters were swinging. You know, pitchers are throwing a lot more pitches because hitters are going deeper into counts. They're swinging and missing. Was there extra emphasis in previous generations of baseball in either A, not striking out, or B, just getting action to happen early in a count? I, I think both. There was a lot of pride, uh, a lot more pride in not striking out in, in uh, days past than there is now. It's such an accepted part of the game now. The guys want to hit the ball out of the ballpark. People want them to hit the ball out of the ballpark, and so they, you know, accept uh, the strikeouts as a natural, re- you know, result of that. Um, and, but guys' swings were different too. I mean, you, you go back and 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 look at, you know, those guys, and and the swings were, the swings were different, and they were especially different when um, when there were two strikes on them, and. 
And that's the, the biggest change is there's no change in approach nowadays. Uh, it, it doesn't look like. There's no change in any kind in swing plane or anything um, when, uh, once you get two strikes. And I'm really not against guys trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark and develop swings that will enable them to do that. But I think it's especially important if that's going to be the approach to, you know, to be a complete player, then to develop a, a little bit better, a different idea approach about, you know, once you do get to two strikes, then, then you know, do something a little bit different. Uh, you, you were talking about uh, guys, uh, Astadio, and, and then guys in the, in the major leagues throughout history. Go back and look up Yogi Berra, and I forget what year it is. I think it was... It was like 50 or 51 or 50, 52, somewhere around there. He, he hit 30-some home runs. He drove in 100-some runs. Uh, he hit, I don't know, 35 or 40 doubles. I think he struck out eight times or 12 times. I mean, it was, it, it's the most ridiculous thing you'll ever see. You look at these stats, and Yogi struck out never. It was wow. amazing. 1950. Wow. How many strikeouts? 1950, he batted 322. Yep. He hit 28 bombs, 124 runs driven in. He he played in 151 of what? 154 games at the time. Right. He struck right. out 12 times. <laughs> 12, okay. 12, that's ridiculous. 12 times. 12 times. That's insane. That's stupid. Yeah. That's insanity. Oh. That's almost as that's almost as good of a strikeout rate as our guy Ostadio. But but you know what, Roy? His launch angle sucked. Well, actually, yeah, it was probably pretty good that year. <laughs> it was all wrong. Uh, Roy, on on Maurer, a question for you. Given what you guys uh, in the three-man booth uh, talked about uh, about Joe a couple nights ago, and then also uh, in t- today's Star Tribune, Lavelle had the story quoting Joe pretty heavily about something like there's a decision to make here, and he didn't tip his hand, but th- this is the most I've seen him talk about possibly walking away. Are you getting the feeling that, that this might be it for Joe? I don't have any feeling at all about that. As a matter of fact, um, I don't think Justin and you know, I was sitting next to Justin Morno for, uh, for, for those uh, yep. three nights and, uh, or two nights. And um, Justin said candidly, frankly, he, he called Joe. He, he uh, wanted to know. And he said, look, I'll, I'll come back. You're going to now. I want to know because he, he's going to, uh, Justin's taking some, uh, doing some traveling. He said, I will, I'll, I'll arrange around your announcement. I'll come back. You know, tell me what. And Joe said, I, I, "He said, Joseph, I don't know. You know, I just I have to I have to wait till the season's over and think about it." So, I don't I don't if Justin have doesn't have any sense. I certainly don't. Yeah, it's, uh, he he's got so much. You guys talked about this too. That and Justin Morton almost called the grand slam on the broadcast. He said, "Adam Hour hasn't swung at a pitch in this at bat yet, but he's seen everything this pitcher has to deliver, and he's in full command." And then, boom. <laughs> Grand Slam, and you look at his numbers in certain situations, and he's one of the best hitters with runners in scoring position. So, what does what does that tell you in terms of how much longevity he has as a productive hitter when he can turn it on in those situations with runners on base or runners in scoring position? But but he doesn't give you the full Joe Mauer that he gave you maybe five years ago. Yeah, I you know he does. I, I said on the uh, on the show on the opening to our uh, TV broadcast last night. I'm sorry, I've got a little something, a little coffee, and I, I apologize. But um, Joe doesn't turn it on uh, in big situations. Joe is like what, the way Gene Mock described Reggie Jackson. When someone asked Mock how Reggie was able to elevate his game, 
excuse me. It's okay. You're getting, and, you're getting uh, choked up talking about Maurer's yeah, career I here. <laughs> I am. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, he said, how do you become Mr. October? How do you elevate his game? Gene said, Reggie doesn't elevate his game. Reggie stays Reggie. He allows everybody to sink down to a lower level and let the situation get get to be too much for them. They sink down and become worse than they than they could be, and Reggie just takes advantage. And that's the way Joe is. Joe doesn't swing at balls that he's going to make outs on early in counts. He just waits for and looks for pitches that he can handle. And if he has to go to two strikes to do that, he goes to two strikes to do that because he's got – he understands that there's no sense swinging at, a, at, at taking a two strike swing, at a, it, meaning a defensive swing, until you have two strikes. I mean, why why would you do that? Yeah, Roy, go go get a glass of water and a cough drop. This was great stuff, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks, Roy. I appreciate it, guys. Sorry about the uh, <laughs> the coughing in your ears. <laughs> no worries. No worries, okay. Roy. Take care. Uh, yeah. There's nobody we would rather cough in our ears than Roy Smalley. Okay, so we talked about Yogi Berra and his insane low strikeout rate. So Yogi Berra, 19 years in the bigs, he struck out a grand total of 414 times. Yeah, Chris Davis struck years. out 400 times in April for the Orioles. Where was Tony Gwynn? It was some ridiculously... It was probably pretty low, too. Yeah, but yeah. just for perspective, Miguel Sano, in not quite four seasons, <laughs> he has struck out 581 times. Nice job. Nice job. Uh, that is... That's amazing. You just... You don't see... You don't see guys like Astadio. I, I, I'm glad you, you and I both looked that up at the same time. And I was... If you hadn't asked it, I was going to ask it. Is this real? Right. This dude has struck... This dude's been playing professional baseball for nine years. And has 81 strikeouts? The legend of Ostadio, baby. Mackie and Judd. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Just hold your ass right there. On 1500 ESPN. Now, back to Mackie and Judd. Hello, boy. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. So what do you think? <laughs> it's pretty cool, I guess. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd rolls on. Quick look at your traffic. Northbound W between 50th and 46th in Minneapolis. Look out for a crash. That's uh, slowing things down just a little bit. Northbound 35W between 50th and 46th. Look out for a crash slowing things down. Gentlemen. It loaded one out. Infielders are sort of halfway at second and short. Pena in a jam. The Twins are going to win the World Series. The Twins have won it. We're to left center. A diving attempt, but no catch by Hicks. Ostadio around third. He's heading home. And the Twins lead three to nothing. <laughs> His nickname is what? El Tortugo the Turtle? Never seen a turtle run so fast. Yeah, I, I, might, I might put that one, and now that I hear all three of those iconic moments in Twins history, I might honestly, <laughs> I might put it number two. Might put it number two. It was something to watch. It's Him all over around. the internet. Have you seen well, You've well, seen how many places have picked it up? The shot, spin. the shot of him as he's about to, the still shot of him as he's about to score. <laughs> his his face going. It looks like the G forces from his running are impacting his facial muscles. His hair, his hair flowing in the wind. And then the best part is it's a tight picture, so he's got three chins. Yeah, 
Did you see? Did you guys see the? Who the hell was it? I think it was the MLB Twitter account today. They took a screenshot. No, it might have been the whole video. It was it was him rounding third as Judd described with the the wind flowing through his hair and he's kind of <laughs> tilted back as he runs around third base. <laughs> and they had so a dramatic black and white version of it with his quote pulled on the bottom. Oh, I just want to show that chubby, chubby people, people can run too. <laughs> Historic, but you know it's 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 Super Mario. Like he's running. I, I tweeted out last night the gift of Super Mario, just dee, like dee, running. Dee, 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 <laughs> yeah, that's dee, what it was. Dee, like going around dee, third dee, base. It's great. I expected him to turn into what's that in Mario Three where he turn where you have like the the tail or whatever and oh, he gets the to raccoon fly power. the raccoon power. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> see him flying out of Target Field. That's the that's the gift that I tweeted out. I could see if I could turn around and show it to you guys. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's not. That's yeah, that's it, that's him exactly. Uh, he he is our version of. Of Pablo Sandoval, essentially, right? He kind of looks like Pablo Sandoval. Yeah. Pablo Sandoval, when he was a decent everyday player, but then turned it up into into October, rarely struck out. So I, I honestly, this dude has gone from all right. What's up with this guy? This guy's got kind of a funny look. He plays a bunch of positions. To all right, he can slug a little bit. He doesn't strike out, and, I, and he can play. He can play six different spots. I was going to say, him. did it, Pablo ever get a chance to play center field? I don't think so. I don't know. Do you is is he just a punchline in this year's disappointing twin season? Or he's twenty six. He's not that old. He's not one of these thirty three year old dudes. Or is he a guy that we're going to talk about two years from now as being an actual, somewhat meaningful piece to the puzzle? I, I wouldn't be surprised. I think he is a lot of fun to watch right now. And in two years, we're going to be like, who was that sort of chubby guy that scored from first base on that Kepler <laughs> double back in uh, 2018? Don't you think there could be some value in him, though, as like a pinch hitter? Like late in the situation? Because you know he's going to put the ball in play. Yes. He's not going to strike out. Do you yes. know what I love about him? He is the definition of what I grew up with a catcher being. You know, the fat kid always catches, right? And now catchers are ordinarily in shape and they're athletes. I like the fact that he is the he is the old school. Yeah. Well, what can Williams do? Have him catch. He's fat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, though, to, to the point Manny's been making about strikeouts here, if if we're looking for some sort of counter adjustment or what's what's the next money ball, what's the next undervalued thing in baseball that you can capitalize on? Don't you think it's putting the ball in play? That we've gone so far off the deep end with guys swinging for the fences and selling out for launch angle and strikeouts are at an all-time high where if you just have a team of guys that can put the ball in play more often, you know, hit something other than a wet rolled up newspaper ground ball. But if you have a bunch of guys who can put the ball in play, then now you might have an edge on other teams. Well, it's interesting because the Royals, I think in 2014, the first World Series that they went to with that group, I think they had like the fewest strikeouts and the fewest walks in in at least in the American League. I think. Yeah, and I want to say if you look it up, I believe last year Houston did, did the same thing. Yep. Fewest now, strikeouts. When you're, when you're one of those teams like Houston and you put the ball in play and it goes over the fence every time, that's sure. that's how you win <laughs> a World helps. Series. <laughs> yes. Makes sense though. Um, we're gonna get to our football hour here with Matthew Collar. We will wrap with Roycey, who I'm sure I, did someone check on him last night with Ostadio? Oh, that's the his tweets, favorite player. His tweets were outstanding last night. Good. Uh, when we come back here, let's get an update on Pat Elfline and what kind of a boost he could add to this offensive line, whether it's now or sometime in the near future. Mackie and Judd.